Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. Now, on today's episode, we'll be talking about a career that's very different from the vast majority of careers that we've covered so far on this podcast. We'll be talking about building a career in science. And to help us understand, our guest today is Clara Nellist, and she is a particle physicist at CERN. And CERN, for those of you who are not familiar, CERN stands for the European Organization for Nuclear Research. And Clara has been working there for a while. She works specifically on the Atlas experiment, and uh, we'll go into more details during the discussion. Uh, But for any of you who is interested in science, who is fascinated by all the very, very interesting discoveries that are being made, this would be an interesting discussion to get a broad idea about what is it like to be working in science. So I hope you enjoy the discussion. And with that, let's welcome Clara. Clara, hello, welcome to the show. Hello, thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. It is so awesome to have you on. I am very excited to talk to you and I should say also a little intimidated because (laughs) you're a particle physicist. I mean, I will not pretend to understand exactly everything that you do, but it's a fascinating area. And I'm sure it feels awesome to be working on the cutting edge of our understanding of nature and universe and so on. Yeah, I mean, that's that's why I do it. I really love um, trying to understand more about our universe. Yeah, so let's let's start with what you do what what is a particle physicist what do you do um so i work um on the atlas experiment at cern and cern is um this huge organization in switzerland uh which has the large hadron collider uh it's a 27 kilometer long accelerator we accelerate protons Um, And we uh, collide those protons together to try and create new particles so that we can understand uh, basically how our universe uh, is made. (laughs) That that, that (laughs) statement sounds like, oh, it's so, so simple that we collide a bunch of protons and understand how the universe works. Uh, You you mentioned that you work on the ATLAS experiment. So what is the ATLAS experiment? Uh, So the ATLAS experiment is one of four uh, big experiments around the Large Hadron Collider. Mm -hmm. Um, We call it a general purpose detector. It's um, essentially, you can think of it as a giant camera. Um, We, when the protons collide at the center of ATLAS, uh, this energy goes into creating new particles and then they spray out. Um, I I would say like a firework, but it's not, uh, there's nothing to see. Um, but as the new particles that are created pass through um, our detector, then we can measure where they've gone and we reconstruct uh, which particles were at the center of that collision. Um, so, Go ahead, yeah. Uh, so I, uh, I work on two areas within the experiment. Um, so I did my PhD on the detector itself. Um, so the very first layer of the detector is called the pixel detector. Um, and it is very similar to, to like pixel uh, sensors in your in your camera. Um, and it tracks uh, charged particles. Um, and yeah, we, we recreate where these charged particles have gone. And so my job and part of my PhD was to improve the design of these detectors for um, upgrades of the experiment um, because they're 
they continually upgrade the Large Hadron Collider, which means we get more collisions, we get more energy, but this damages our detector, and so we have to make improvements uh, mm. as as the uh, LHC is improved. Got it. So, so you said that one of your areas is the pixel detector, and what is the other mm-hmm. area? Uh, so the other part is to uh, then use that data that um, is created within the collisions. Yeah. Uh, and I was looking, um, originally I was looking at the Higgs boson, which was discovered in 2012. This is a particle that we've been searching for um, for about 50 years, and it was finally discovered um, at, with the LHC in 2012. Um, so I was looking at one of its, one of the way that it changes into new particles uh into tau particles. Uh, and now I've shifted slightly and I'm now looking at the top quark. And this is the heaviest particle um, that we know of so far. Uh, and I look at various different ways it changes into new particles. And so these are all pieces of a puzzle that we can put together to try and understand how all these different particles uh, work together. Wow. So yeah, I, I wouldn't go into the science of all of this, but if you could, <laughs> uh, if you could maybe give a very you know, just, just to pique people's interest, if there is like a one line, two line summary of, you know, what the discovery of Higgs boson means and what the discovery of the top quark would mean. Um, so for the, the Higgs boson, it's, it was predicted in the standard model um, by a, a number of uh, theorists about 50 years ago. Uh, and it was theorized to give uh, fundamental particles mass. Fundamental are the ones that we can't break down into any smaller pieces. Um, and so without having discovered it, it was really a missing piece in our theory. Uh, and it was, it was something that we thought should have been there, but we hadn't found yet. So really finding it was, was fulfilling this, uh, this model that we have. Um, the top quark was really interesting because it was the last of six quarks to be discovered. And it was discovered in 1995. So it's actually, it's been discovered quite a while now, but we're still learning a lot about it. And the the Higgs and the top play this interesting role together um, because they help us to understand uh, about how our uh, universe will evolve um, and how the Higgs interacts with other particles within the standard model. Got it. Um, So really we have to understand lots uh, lots of different pieces to get this this whole picture. Yeah, yeah. So I'm saying got it in quotes. <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, so one thing which will be interesting to understand is, uh, you know, as I was reading about this, and essentially, I, I think for for any physicist, I guess, or and even at CERN, broadly speaking, you have two kinds of scientists. Uh, you have the theorists who are more; they are the ones who are thinking about, okay, what are the kind of hypotheses we want to test, and what kind of experiments we want to run, perhaps. And then you have the experimentalist physicists who are more involved with actually running the experiment and making sure that things are going right and then analyzing the data that you get out of the experiments. Is that accurate? Yeah, I would say that's broadly true. I think when you when you start to focus down, you can split everybody up into uh, many different areas. But when you look back, theorist and experimentalist is a good uh, way to split people. So I'm, I'm definitely an experimentalist. Right, exactly. Um, Got yeah, it. I like I like to work on the detector. I like to be in a lab. I like to um, do programming and to to try and understand the data that we've collected. 
Right. So, I mean, would you, how would you describe your role? I mean, would you, would you describe your role as some, as someone who is sort of a, a blend of a, of a computer science engineer with a, with a strong interest and understanding of physics? Yeah, I, I, I started off studying physics. So I, I say I'm a physicist, hmm. um, but we have to do a lot of computer programming hmm. uh, in our day-to-day job. Um, so I had to pick up those skills uh, as I was going along. Right. And with my work on the pixel detector, I was I spent a lot of time in the clean room. I had to build um, our prototype detectors. Um, so I, I wouldn't say there that I was an engineer, but I had to work very closely with engineers who supported uh, our research. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. And so a lot of the programming that you're doing, what is it that you're trying to do with that programming? Is it primarily for analyzing huge quantities of data or or something else? Yeah, we, we get an incredible amount of data that comes out of the, the detector. In fact, we we get so much, we have to throw some of it away. Um, so that some of our colleagues actually spend a lot of time trying to decide just how much of this data to throw away um, so that we keep the interesting parts and uh, nothing that could be a new discovery is thrown out. But we, we just don't have the storage space or the, the processing power yeah. to go through everything that we, we create. Um, so then uh, what I do after that step is um, to try and take this huge amount of data and to, uh, again, sort it into the area that I'm interested in. Mm. Um, so, it, for example, now I'm looking at the top quarks. So I want to look at events that have come from top quarks uh, in the collision. Um, and then we have to design uh, methods to analyze this data to really separate, well, was that the event that we were looking for? Or is it another event that looks like what we were looking for? Because there can be particles that can create uh, or transform into other particles that look exactly like the ones we were looking for. Yeah. It's an analysis problem. It's it's uh, we, we use a lot of machine learning now to try and yeah, uh, sure. distinguish the the data from what we call the background. I mean, I could imagine that let's say someone is a computational engineer, or let's say someone has very strong understanding of applying machine learning, or someone who is used to working with huge quantities of data, you know, let's say it's a Facebook scale data, which I'm, sh- I'm not sure if that compares to the, uh, to the amount of data that you're looking at. But would that be sort of analogous to what you're doing? At least the data analysis part? Yeah, I think so. I think there's a lot of overlap um, between the skills that you have to have in those sort of careers and what we're doing. Hmm. Um, And indeed, I have a lot of colleagues that have made a transition. They've spent some time uh, either doing a PhD or what we call a postdoc, which is um, a short term uh, contract after the uh, PhD, Uh, who have then gone on to work for Facebook, for Google, for um, other companies and use the the skills that they learned uh, at CERN, uh, working on this data analysis to then go into those companies. Gotcha. So uh, why don't you give us an example of the kind of projects you work on, or a couple of examples, just to give a flavor of the various things you work on? Um, So one of the projects I'm working on right now is uh, I'm trying to... It's a very uh, large group of people that I'm working with, uh, but we're trying to understand how the the top quark and the Higgs interact with each other and specifically if uh, you can get 
a Higgs uh, being created from uh, two top quarks, or we call it in association with two top quarks. And so what this looks like is uh, we, we take the data that comes from the experiment and we have to produce... We have to produce files that uh, contain all the information about the particles that we are interested in and then run machine learning algorithms on these files to uh, to say whether or not this has a Higgs boson in it mm. or whether it uh, was another particle that produces the same output as, as a Higgs boson would. Mm. Um, and so we... And maybe to go more into the day-to-day, we have a lot of meetings in my job. Uh, this is a very uh, common thing day-to-day. So we will have maybe 30 of us connecting from all around the world uh, to a uh, online conference room. And people will talk about uh, studies that they have done to try and improve the, the algorithms to uh, be able to separate um, these two types of data uh, and then we also, once once the project is complete, then we start to present it to um, other colleagues within the collaboration to get their opinions that they might ask for some uh, tests that we need to do. Yeah. So I have a couple of uh, questions that I would love to uh, get your input on. So one is that, so w- what got you interested in science? This is a good question because I'm I've always been interested in uh, stuff that's going on. I've always been quite curious. Um, I have quite a strong memory of reading a book called Contact by Carl Sagan mm-hmm. um, when I was young, and there was this uh, really uh, hardworking female scientist uh, who works for SETI, which is a, a real. Um, organization and she's searching for alien signals and she finds one um but I just remember that she was really smart and really really enjoyed the science that she was doing and I I found that very inspiring um but I actually very nearly didn't do physics um my my school didn't have my my high school didn't have a physics teacher so when I was looking at the options in the UK we um specialize at the end when we're about 16 years old um, and we pick about four different subjects. And I definitely wanted to do English uh, language and literature um, because I really that was a subject I really enjoyed. I really loved mathematics um, and I, I picked chemistry, but I wanted a fourth subject. But and my mum suggested physics, but it wasn't on my list. <laughs> so I said, oh, I, I can't do physics. And um, it turned out that I could uh, pair with another school that was nearby and go and do physics lessons there. Um, so I did that and then I decided that I really enjoyed doing physics and I wanted to do it at university because it was something that kept me very interested, but it also kept my uh, career options open. I didn't really have a specific career in mind. Um, and then when I, I got to university, I was, uh, in my fourth year. Um, so it's, it's a master's year, uh, but I hadn't we do an undergraduate master's program. I was at the University of Manchester. So you do four years uh, in one go. And in my fourth year, I was offered to do a real research project with one of the professors um, at Fermilab, which is a US-based lab, very similar to CERN. They also do particle physics research. Mm -hmm. Um, So I worked on this research project remotely. I was looking at the top quark. This is how I started 
um, working on the top clock. And at the end of the year, they said, do you want to go to Fermilab for uh, the summer and work with the, the scientists there and get some experience? So I thought that was a, a really fantastic way to spend the summer. Um, so I did that and then uh, kind of got hooked and did my PhD. Um, so it wasn't really, I didn't set out with the aim in mind to to be a physicist. Mm. Um, I actually, <laughs> I, I still have uh, an aim of I would like to be an astronaut. Oh, wow. So all of, <laughs> all of my career decisions are uh, to keep that option open. <laughs> but I also have to be realistic that there are a lot of people that want to be astronauts and um, the the number of people that actually get to go into space is very small. Yeah. So I want to make sure that I'm also doing something that I find uh, important at the same time. Yeah. Wow. That would be awesome if you were to be able to go into space. I would love that. That was my childhood dream, but I'm not pursuing it. So I'm getting inspired <laughs> by you. Uh, this, is, this is interesting. So you mentioned that, you know, your, your first exposure i guess which actually got you interested in the in the in the space was um reading the book contact by carl sagan uh, and it is a really nice book so mm. um at any point in time did you consider any other options so so you were interested in universe and space and you know that could have translated into a lot of other things also as opposed to doing research in science so for example you could have gone into um more more of an engineering sort of direction uh you could have maybe become a professor or something else. So did you ever evaluate other options? Um, I did a bit, but I was also, I was very fortunate that I was able to just keep doing the things I found interesting and it led in, onto this interesting path. But there's still a part of me that gets tugged a little bit um, in different directions and think, oh, that would have been really cool or maybe I should have done that. I mean, I do not regret at all what I'm doing. I really love um, my job. Mm. But there are other uh, careers too that sort of in parallel I would have uh, really enjoyed. So engineering, I think working on um, the the satellites and the experiments that they send into space would have been really fascinating. Um, and I also, I have a really strong interest in uh, photography and um, sort of journalism. So I would have, mm. I think I would have enjoyed that too. I think it's very difficult <laughs> to, it, it's very difficult to say that this is the only thing I would have enjoyed, but I really enjoy it. And I'm really happy with what I'm, I'm doing. Yeah, so you, you've basically gone after whatever you thought you would enjoy the most at that point in time. Yeah, I would probably have to say that um, this isn't the, the biggest money-making career. Uh, I'm not, <laughs> it's it's not uh, a job you do uh, for the money. But then I should also say that people shouldn't uh, abuse someone's passion. Uh, we should obviously uh, yeah. get uh, compensated for our work too. Yeah. Um, One thing that I that I would love to also understand is that w- was getting into science and uh, you're a, you're you're in pure research. Um, was that a decision from the point of view of uh, actually? Before I ask this question, can you tell us like what are some of the key characteristics of a career in science so uh, by, by that what I mean is if you're working in research especially the kind of research that you're doing it is likely that you will be working on the same area for a very long time 
right? Because it's it's not like these are all hypotheses. A lot of them mm-hmm. have now be proven, but some of them may not be right, right? So you you might end up working for a long time, and not really get a result, or or like you said, uh, money is not always the sort of the highest thing that you get mm-hmm. in this career, right? So were the what are some of the characteristics of a career in science, and then did that ever make you think twice? Do you mean uh, what characteristics I would need or, or what uh, what are the defining like, features? Yeah, defining features that are absolutely necessary for to be successful in this career. I would say the biggest defining feature is to um, to get used to failing. And it's it's very common in science that you will fail at stuff and you have to get used to feeling stupid. Um, and it's funny because people uh, say to me quite often, oh, you must be so intelligent. You must be really clever with what you're doing. But actually, I spend a lot of my time feeling stupid <laughs> because we, we don't know the answers to things. Um, we're really getting to the edge of, of knowledge. And so you can't just look it up in a book. Um, so you have to you have to come up with ideas. You test them and you're you're wrong a lot of the time. And that's OK. That's that's how science works. But you have to get used to that feeling. Mm. Um, and I think also one of the, the problems um, in academia and in research is something called imposter syndrome. People think that everybody else must be really intelligent and they're, um, they're not intelligent and that they've just uh, got into the career through luck. Um, so I think it's, it's important very early on to understand that everybody feels stupid and everybody is is learning as they go along. So perseverance is a really big skill, um, just being able to to keep going. And, and we're talking about perseverance over a really long time period. Right? Like, have you heard of people working on the same experiment for like ten years? Uh, Maybe not. Yes, yeah, so actually, I've I've been working on Atlas now for almost nine years. Um, so I'm quite rare in my generation of scientists in that I got to work at Fermilab for a little bit before I started on Atlas. But most of my peers who are in, uh, who have just finished their PhD or in the first or second postdoc have only ever worked in Atlas. Um, so this is the only experiment that they've, uh, been part of in their career, but within Atlas, uh, there are lots of different, um, mini experiments that we mm. we can do so you can um you can move around within the experiment so like myself i started on hardware um and i've sort of drifted more towards analysis and then we'll see as my career develops where i drift to next because right. uh, actually one of the interesting things about cern and these really huge experiments that we're now working on is that people uh go into the small area uh, so data analysis or hardware design um, and can work on that for their whole careers but take it back a hundred years and people would be designing building testing analyzing for a whole experiment and there might be two or three people working yeah, on it yeah yeah so it's a very different way to do science absolutely and it also sounds like it's the kind of career where you get, you obviously get a feedback loop in terms of okay whether uh, you know my hop- hypothesis was right or wrong but there's probably the positive feedback loop probably happens a lot more rarely and over a much longer period of time so uh, there needs to be some level of i don't know stubbornness i guess to just sort of keep on going yeah i think uh, <laughs> there are a lot of stubborn scientists yeah and so you got to be um, really into what you're doing 
Yeah. But also, uh, there's, there's positive feedback when you've made that, it's small steps. And these aren't the, the things that get into the media. So uh, nobody reports when we've improved our algorithms by 0.5%. Mm. Um, but sometimes that can really make a difference in your analysis. Um, and we also, when, when we're looking for new particles, we have um, thresholds that we report to say whether or not we we really think it's there. Because in science, you can never prove something. You only uh, disprove it. And then we report on how likely we think it is that what we're reporting on isn't actually there. Mm. So, for example, with the Higgs boson, uh, when we say it was discovered, uh, what we mean is that there is a one in, I think it's three uh, million. I might have got the decimal points wrong there. Uh, We call it five sigma. And what that means is there's a very, very, very tiny chance that if the Higgs boson didn't exist, we would still see that signal. (laughs) Um, So we we haven't, it's it's a likelihood. And what we're saying is we're really confident um, that we didn't get this wrong, but we still tell people our confidence level. Yeah. Um, So yeah, we, we might not make... Within a career, you're making these small increments and you're getting closer to the point where you can say, now we're really, really confident that that was a new particle. So if let's say someone is really fascinated by by science and all this work that's happening at an organization like CERN, but let's say they are not a physicist as such, so they're not doing research, but they still Mm -hmm. want to be involved in some way. Is, Is that even possible? Yeah, we have uh, lots of different, it's not just physicists that are working um, at CERN. We have many engineers, we have um, IT technicians, uh, we have a really strong communications team. So these are people who talk to scientists and understand the results that they're producing and then communicate this with the public, uh, with um, politicians, with uh, students. Interesting, yeah. They're, so they're the more the communications people, I see. Uh, any other roles? Uh, yeah, so um, who else do we have working there? Well, the, I mean, the IT, the IT uh, information technology uh, support at CERN is, is uh, huge. We have so many computers and so much uh, processing required mm-hmm. yeah. that we also need a lot of people who can really understand um, how to construct uh, this huge farm of computers uh, for us to use. Okay. Yeah, and a lot of uh, technicians, engineers uh, working working at CERN. Yeah, and you mentioned that you have something called a global humanitarian lab where someone can come in to see how to apply the various ideas that you're coming across? So we we had um, an event uh, where business students were invited to CERN to uh, work with um, scientists to understand the technology uh, that we develop uh, at CERN. And then their, their role was to come up with a way to use that technology or uh, a method of, of distributing it, of a way to, to make use of the the innovations that happen mm-hmm. um, at CERN, and so interestingly, one of the one of the groups of students um, developed an electricity grid distribution source for refugee camps, 
Um, so we we have to deal with a lot of energy. We require a lot of electricity at CERN. And so they were inspired when they came to CERN um, to be able to use that method to then distribute electricity in a refugee camp to make sure that, for example, hospitals or schools within the camp got the electricity they needed. And then it was also distributed uh, oh, cool. to other people yeah. who needed it too. Yeah, it's a very interesting application. Is, is this an ongoing thing or was that a one-time event? So uh, as far as I know, that was a one-time event, but we, we have them uh, sporadically. Uh, okay. They're organized by uh, people at CERN who invite uh, people to come and uh, collaborate. Okay. Um, so like if someone wants to find out when the next one is happening, is, is there a way to do that? Um. I'm sure if you follow the CERN channels on social media, so CERN has a presence on uh, Twitter, on Facebook, um, on other social media channels, and they're advertised very strongly when, when they come up. I see. Um, cool. Yeah, so so coming back to your your day-to-day and your, and your job as a scientist overall, what do you think are some of the most exciting things about doing what you do? So the most exciting phrase you can say in science is, huh, that's funny. <laughs> um, so it, some of the most exciting things I do, I really, I really enjoyed working on the pixel detector um, when I was uh, involved in that project because I really got to be in the clean room, in the lab every day. I could hold the prototype devices in my hands. Um, I did a lot of soldering, of building, um, and then we worked in small teams to test these devices. Um, so we have a, a beam facility at CERN, which is where we take the, the proton beam before it gets fed into the LHC. Uh, we we send it off to this other uh, building on site, and we we create uh, different kinds of particles to test these detectors in the same environment they would experience with an atlas. And almost what we're trying to do is uh, well, first we want to understand how they run in a normal environment, and then we want to try and push them to their limits to see where they break. And I find that really interesting to. I mean, you don't smash it with a hammer. You you expose it to very high energy uh, radiation and see how they still function after uh, being bombarded like that. And it's it has a very strong application at, in Atlas, but it's also the kind of developments that could benefit, um, for example, space travel. Uh, we need, if people are going to spend a long time in space, we need hardware that can really withstand um, a high radiation environment. It's very high radiation uh, in space. Um, so it's interesting to work on a project that you know also has wide applications, even if you're not working directly yeah. on those wider applications. Yeah. Um, Go ahead, yeah. I, I also, I, I do outreach. Um, so I talk to the students and to the public when they come to CERN. And uh, that I find really inspiring because I spend a lot of time in front of my computer, uh, working at my desk. And it doesn't matter how interesting something is, uh, it quickly becomes very normal. Um, <laughs> so you, for me, I, you know, I, I go to CERN, um, 
I, I eat in the canteen, I, I talk to my colleagues, and it's really nice to meet people uh, when they say, huh, that's really cool, I really like what you do, I, it's very interesting, and it reminds us that what we're doing is very uh, very interesting and very important work. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. also it's important, I, I think it's really important that we, we share what we do with the public. Yeah. I mean, our our work is funded by... Uh, taxpayers from many different countries so it's important that uh, we are an open lab uh, and that we share um, all of our results uh, with as many people as possible are there are there aspects that you find uh, particularly challenging and I'm sure the physics in and of itself poses interesting points for you every now and then Uh, but more as a career uh, are there aspects that are challenging uh, I would say that it's important for somebody who's interested in, to go, in going into this kind of um, career to understand the the structure of of how yeah how the career pro- progression works. So, for example, I did um, four years for my undergraduate uh, masters at the University of Manchester, and then I uh, took a three year contract. Um, with a lab in uh, France, in Paris. Um, and I, I really loved living in Paris. It was a little bit difficult to settle in at first because it's a huge city and I didn't know anybody. Um, but after three years, I, I really felt like home. Um, and then my contract ended and it wasn't possible for it to be extended. That's how uh, a lot of these government funded uh, contracts work. And so I had to move uh, to another city. And so now I'm in a, a university city in Germany. I'm with a new university and I really enjoy it here. I've got really great colleagues. Um, I think it does push you to uh, to change your uh, research plans a little bit. It's, it's good to not get... Um, you know, you could work on the same thing year after year, but when you change labs, you also have to take on the priorities of the of the lab you're working in. Um, but I think it can also be very hard to have to. It, it's a it's a privilege and a uh, yeah. a difficulty. I love uh, visiting new countries. I love living in different cities, but I don't get to um, see my family every day. Uh, I I have to Skype to. Uh, mm-hmm. to catch up with how they're doing um, so that aspects of that are very challenging and if people have a family for example it can uh, create extra difficulties and so it's really helpful if if to do research in advance to make sure that the place you're going to work for can support you uh, and support your move to the new country right right and it also sounds like that it, you probably need to be very proactive about your career so you may not be working with the same organization for for all of your life. So you have to sort of keep moving from one place to another while at the same time continuing to work on more and more interesting problems. Yeah, and some people uh, really love that and some people find it very difficult. So I think it's important to do a lot of research and um, to understand these aspects of the career uh, in advance. And also... One of the things about academia and research is that the number of people coming in to do PhDs doesn't equal the number of professorships available. So not everybody going into a PhD position uh, will get a professorship if that's what they want at the end. Mm. Um, And I mean, 
one of the things we have to understand in science is that's okay. Like not everybody who comes in to do a PhD should be staying in academia. Obviously, if they want to, then that's um, that's one side. But uh, it's also we're training uh, young people in these very uh, technical uh, skills and then they can go on and work in other careers and use the skills that they've developed at CERN. So I have friends that, um, as I said earlier, they work at at Facebook or at Google. I also have friends that uh, went on to work in the NHS in the UK, um, working on radiation machines um, to to work with cancer patients. Uh, I have people working for the government, um, teaching, uh, who've gone into science communication. There's... Uh, a huge uh, field of careers that you could go on, you could go on yeah. to after doing a PhD in in physics, for example. Yeah. Um, so it does it does keep a lot of options open, uh, but yeah, you have to do your research. You have to be proactive. Um, I would recommend if anybody's um, doing an undergraduate degree in physics right now to look at the CERN summer school program if they're interested in particle physics uh, because it's nine weeks uh, where you're based at CERN and what's important is you're paid and I like to tell people that you're paid Mm -hmm. to make sure that it's not only those who can afford it who come um, that they they give a very generous uh, stipend to be based at CERN uh, Mm -hmm. to make sure that nobody is financially put out to come and work there and, and the summer school program uh, exposes you to, uh, to real research, to lectures, to life as a, um, as a scientist. It's very social. Um, it's nine weeks of a lot of, uh, of young people uh, living in Geneva, working together. Yeah, so it, it can be, it's a lot of fun and it's a lot of work. And I, I think it's a good uh, way to experience the career before making final decisions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this, this sounds like a way, it's like an internship program at CERN. Yeah, um, but it's an internship that's paid, which I think is really Yeah, yeah, important. it's a paid internship for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and, um, and I'm sure that I think uh, Fermilab also has opportunities that they're uh, based near Chicago mm-hmm. in Illinois. Um, and there's DAISY as well, uh, which is in uh, Hamburg in Germany. So there's other particle physics uh labs around the world that do a similar uh, yeah. scheme as well. And uh, so you said that this is open to physics undergrads, correct? Yeah, so it's usually people who are within a year or two of graduating. Uh, it's a lot of the places go to what we call member states of CERN. So CERN is funded by uh, different countries all around the world. And those countries that fund CERN more have priority of the students that can do this program. Mm. Um, but the University of Michigan does fund students to from the US, for example, uh, to come to CERN as well. So if it's something that the student's interested in, then uh, there are options to right. come here. Right, right, right. And what if they're doing some other sort of STEM study? So uh, what if, let's say, they're doing an undergrad in biology or some, some kind of engineering? So for the engineering, I think we also have... Um, opportunities to to come and work at CERN. I know that some of the summer students have been, um, for example, computer scientists mm. uh, and engineers. Uh, for biology, we're not, we, we don't do uh, biology research. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, 
no in the sense of course you don't do biology research but in the yeah. sense so this person needs to uh be grounded in some sort of engineering discipline more specifically computer science perhaps electrical engineering or or you're doing pure play physics yeah yeah okay for for certain yeah for certain got it um Okay, so uh, what I just I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions more from the point of view of y- your own experience as you've built your career in science. Uh, initially, when you were starting out, it seems that you know you you were yourself very interested and driven, and your mom also pushed you towards physics, so that was nice. Um, but did you have any mentors as such early on who were actively guiding you? Um. Not before I got to uh, to undergraduate. I mean, my my teachers at school were all fantastic, mm. um, but nobody really pushed me towards physics. Uh, in fact, I'm sure my English teacher would have pushed me towards uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, something more uh, English based. Um, I I did I I'm not sure I would say mentor, but there was somebody. Um, at Manchester when I was an undergraduate and it was more because there aren't so many women in physics um and so it's very easy to start to feel like you don't belong maybe if it's a bit of a boys club Mm. um and there was a female professor at Manchester who started doing lunches once a month uh which were very informal um and just an opportunity to meet other female scientists and to see that there are people like you um working in physics and in research and i think it's really useful um to be able to see people like you uh yeah in a career so it it wasn't uh, on the research side but on the the ability to see myself as a researcher in the future and this is why also uh having read contact as a child was really <laughs> helpful because i still i had that picture of this strong female physicist in my mind from a young age. Yeah. Um, I was very lucky. My, my parents are very uh, interested in science. My dad loves physics. Um, he used to wake us up in the middle of the night to see comets or uh, lunar eclipses or take us out stargazing. Um, so both of my parents and, and my grandparents uh, are interested in science. Um, being able to see people who work in in the area is, is very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so th- that was the reason that I asked that let's say someone is very interested in this space, but they, uh, you know, they don't have anyone around them who's doing anything remotely similar. So uh, w- what are some good ways that they can, you know, get exposure to the field or, you know, just learn about the so field the- there? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So this is why I'm on social media. Um, so I have a, a Twitter profile and I, I talk about, I talk about science and I talk about my day-to-day life. Um, And I do that so that people that don't have these, uh, have a direct access to people around them who are doing science can see someone who's doing science um, and talk to them and ask questions. Um, We also do a lot of um, live events at CERN to give people an inside look at what it's like to to be a researcher at CERN. are these uh, on-site events or are there any virtual events also? So we do a lot of stuff uh, virtually because okay. we know it's very expensive to travel to CERN, mm-hmm. um, to Geneva. So it's important to make sure that even those people who can't physically come to the lab um, can experience uh, what we do. Um, so we do 
And we have uh, virtual visits uh, within the Atlas experiment, um, which is uh, primarily for um, school groups, but we also do it for, for other groups uh, where a teacher can organize um, an hour with an Atlas physicist in the control room at yeah. CERN yeah. who will talk to the students about what they do, explain uh, the physics and to allow them to ask questions um, if they want oh, really to cool. to know more about being a physicist. Okay. So so if people want to follow you on Twitter, uh, can you just share your Twitter handle? Yeah, it's um, at Clara Nellist. All right. Um, so just my name. <laughs> yeah. All right. And then people should definitely follow Soren, it seems, because that's where I'm guessing news about all of these events must be getting shared. Yeah. We also have Atlas um, uh, channels. So it's at um, Atlas Experiment. Um, so that's more specific about the uh, the research that we do or the scientists within our collaboration. And then CERN uh, shares a- about the lab, about all of the experiments uh, and all of the people working there. Yep. Clara, one more thing that I would like your thoughts on is that a lot of people, I think, are interested in science and they're fascinated by all of these new discoveries that are getting made. Uh, but a lot of people have this uh, self-conceived notion that I am not smart enough or intelligent enough uh, to actually work in science or be a physicist. So do you think that's accurate? Like, How, how smart do you have to be to be a scientist? Uh, I think it's really not true at all. I mean, you have to have a sense of perseverance and um, to, to read uh, something and to keep at something until you understand it. But I think the idea that you have, uh, that people have this inbuilt intelligence and only those people can go on to be scientists is very wrong. And it's also kind of damaging. Um, I think that everybody has the ability to investigate the world around them and to learn, uh, to learn about the world and the universe. And scientists are just the ones that kept doing it and kept building on that knowledge and then by the end they have a collection of knowledge that somebody would say was intelligence um but it's not something you're born with it's something that you develop uh and so i think if somebody's interested in science and they're interested in a career in science then um it's more important to find ways to to access the knowledge that already exists and to to read about it to watch about it to to learn about it um and and not to worry about oh i'm not i'm not a genius i'm not brilliant uh because that's not i i don't think i'm a genius i spend a lot of my time around people i consider smarter than me um but they just spent more time on a specific area um and so i i can get there too yeah yeah no this is this is very very good to hear because I, i do think that that's something which holds a lot of people back that they just not even consider it as an option, assuming that they are not smart enough uh, to do anything in the field. So yeah, so it's good to hear. I think it's also a little bit about how we um, we report science. Um, so often they will talk about one person uh, who is this genius. So Einstein gets talked about a lot as being um, the epitome of uh, of science, of like the greatest scientist, the most intelligent person ever. Um, 
And that's not, especially nowadays, that's not how science is done. We work in huge teams. Um, we work collaboratively and uh, learn from each other. And so it's really about um, can you work with groups of people? Can you um, develop uh, develop knowledge in a certain area? Um, but I, I don't think that the, the genius idea is, is very helpful in science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And and is there uh is there uh, do you recommend any resources for people to really start, you know, getting an idea about what are all the things that are going on in this field? Like um, physics. So I, I started with a lot of pop science. Um mm-hmm. so you have to be a little bit careful to make sure that the author of the book is uh somebody working in that field but there are so many great uh books being published about different areas of science and they're written in a way that make them accessible and then by reading all of these books and understanding which areas you find more interesting then you can um start to um go deeper uh you can access uh the original papers some of them are not uh super easy to read right mm-hmm. away mm-hmm. um but for example everything that we produce at cern is open access so all of our papers are available for free online mm-hmm. um and there are a lot of really great science communicators um so people on on social media who write for um magazines and news articles who are sharing uh research in an accessible way and so that's a good way to try and find the area of science that you might be more interested in are, are there any authors that you recommend ah oh, good question so i should probably recommend john butterworth um who is uh he's a british professor uh working on the atlas experiment um okay. anyone else oh, yeah like you know if someone wants to just understand that okay uh, let's say someone is pretty uh, like you know pretty new to the field and they want to understand okay you know standard model of physics or or wh- you know what exactly is the cern um are there any other authors or even papers that you think are are good pieces to start with you know they're fairly accessible easy to understand maybe one of the areas i would recommend uh to really start with is um symmetry magazine Okay. Um so it's produced by Fermi Lab and Slack and um, these are two uh labs in the US. Uh and they produce articles uh frequently every few days uh, every week um that go up online for free and, and they have a very strong focus on particle physics. So this is if you're if you're thinking about being interested in particle physics then mm-hmm. they yeah they put out a lot of uh, great articles explaining uh what we're doing in a in a in an open way okay symmetry magazine so i guess people can just google it and and see what they get yeah okay uh and there's also for example so uh cern and atlas um we uh write uh online articles about the research that we're putting out that is meant to be uh more accessible uh to people mm-hmm. who are not working directly in the field yeah uh to explain explain our research okay um but really i would also recommend um to go on twitter and if if you're on twitter and to search for um there are there are thousands of um scientists who are on there who are talking about their research and it's a really good way to not only hear about the work that they're doing but to understand their day-to-day lives and and what 
uh, it's really like to be a scientist. So somebody I uh, have been following for a while now, and she's uh, really built up her followers is Katie Mack. So her Twitter handle is at Astro Katie, and she's more Mm -hmm. uh, on the astrophysics side, but she's really fantastic at explaining uh, about her research. Okay. And so I've learned a lot about what she does through following her on Twitter. That's a good idea. Yeah. Especially on Twitter, I think people are forced to consolidate whatever they have to say into a few sentences. So that that is easier for someone who's just trying to sort of get get a high level idea about what people are doing. Yeah. Right. And maybe if people aren't, uh, if, if they're not already at university, if they're perhaps earlier mm-hmm. uh, in education, there's um, Physics Girl, the Physics Girl um, on Twitter as well. And she's a YouTuber uh, who makes videos about physics. Uh, and she shares a lot of really cool uh, physics phenomena that she, she finds out about. Um, and that I find that really I find that really fun as well, even though I work in the field. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure even if people are just curious about, you know, even if they don't want to build a career, but they're just curious about physics, these are great suggestions. Um, Yeah. Yeah. All right. And any parting advice you'd like to share, Clara? This is very helpful. I mean, we we did not talk about the science as such, but nice overview of what it takes to be working at a place like CERN. Uh, I think if you're if you're interested in working at a place like CERN, then, then definitely either come visit us or check out our website or our social media, read around the subject, read into the history and and start to get, you can get in touch with these scientists. People are on social media and make themselves available to, to answer questions. So it's really nice to hear from people who are interested in the career, who want to know more and want to be able to um, find their way into a career um, at CERN. And just keep trying and stay enthusiastic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Clara. And it's really awesome to see that you're pursuing your childhood dreams. Uh, I think a lot of people give up on that, but it's awesome that you're continuing to do it and uh, thank you. being successful at it. Thank you. And uh, yeah, all the best with all the stuff you're doing. Thank you. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. Just before you leave, do remember to sign up for our newsletter on our website, learneducatediscover.com, where we share updates on new episodes, a lot of career-oriented resources, and a lot of other inspiring stories and videos and podcasts that we find online. So do check it out at learneducatediscover.com. You'll also find the library of all the other podcasts that we've done in the past on the website. Of course, if you have any questions at all, or if you just want to say hello, you can always email us. Just drop us a mail at hello at learneducatediscover.com or tweet at us at LED underscore curator. That's LED underscore C-U-R-A-T-O-R. Of course, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash learneducatediscover or you can also subscribe to the podcast on either iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and for your time. And until the next one, Bye-bye.